0: All right, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Glad that you're all here with us. Uh, Just a quick reminder we're going through uh, the entire New Testament in five years ish by doing one chapter a week. I throw the ish in there because we have Easter's and Christmases that throw things off just a little bit. Um, But Uh, That being said, that means we're moving pretty fast through these chapters. There's a lot of stuff in there. I try to cover the main things. Uh, Every once in a while, I'll skip some things that uh, you might be interested in. So if I skip something you're interested in, just ask Pastor Tom or Pastor Cody. They have all those answers. They're ready to solve those riddles for you. Uh, But uh, here in the book of Galatians, we're looking at a book that is uh, making this point that we have been justified by faith. It's a powerful point Uh, in the history of the church. It's a powerful point in the history of the world, really, uh, for that point to be stood for and understood. Uh, For us as Christians, sometimes we feel like this is kindergarten class. I think that most of us kind of feel like we have that understanding already. We recognize that we were justified by faith. But it is important for us to go back and look at those arguments, to be able to answer them. Sometimes as you're doing that, things will come out of that uh, that you hadn't anticipated things that you hadn't thought about, questions that somebody might ask you later that you're now going to be ready to answer because you spent the time here. When we get into chapter three, uh, what you're going to see is that the Apostle Paul is going to use the experience of the Galatians as well as some Old Testament scriptures to teach this point that we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. He's going to prove that point out. So that'll be kind of our main point uh, that we're going to see today. So let's pick it up here, Galatians chapter three. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? So then... Does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a series of uh, questions here. He doesn't really expect them to answer him. The answers are supposed to be known here, Uh, but he brings this kind of list of questions. Uh, He wants to know of the Galatians, who bewitched you? Who's tricked you? Who's deceived you to come to this conclusion that you have to go back to the law? Another question, did you receive the Spirit of God by your works, or did you receive the Spirit of God by your faith? Another question that he has here. Having begun in the Spirit, are you perfected in the flesh? And then another question here, again, kind of that final question, Uh, did God provide his Spirit to you by works or by hearing with faith? And of course, the answer throughout that is all of this was done by faith. He's appealing to to the Galatians, to go back to their salvation, to the day that they were saved, and ask the question, were you saved because you made a profession of faith in the crucified Jesus Christ, or were you saved because you agreed to follow a bunch of rules? That's the real question he's trying to get answered there, because what was happening in this this region of Galatia to this group of churches in that region was somebody had come along and stirred them up and tricked them into thinking that they had to somehow earn their salvation now. Yes, 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 it's great that you have faith in Jesus Christ, but it's not enough. You also need to be a little bit more Jewish to make this thing work. You need to make sure you're following a certain set of rules. And of course, they were looking specifically at the Old Testament law. And Old Testament law, by the way, which they themselves, nor their forefathers, were able to even fulfill themselves. They couldn't live out the rules. And I think probably a certain amount of the heart of it was You know, I lived my whole life trying to follow these rules, and now these guys just get in just saved by grace through faith. That's not fair. I want them to kind of suffer a little bit like I had to suffer before I heard the good news. And I think sometimes also you just kind of go back to what you know. You get excited in the moment. You get excited about your salvation. Even these Jewish believers were excited. But then they go back to those things. And once they go back to those things, they're trying to draw with them people who have no experience in that. Think about the Galatians. These aren't Jewish people by and large. For the most part, they would have been Greeks. They would have had no clue what the Old Testament rules and regulations were. For them, this would have been a huge bait and switch. Like, I got saved by faith, and now you're switching that out and saying I have to do all these things? I wish you would have showed me these disclaimers before I accepted Jesus as Lord. That may have changed everything for me. Paul wants them to go back to their salvation. He wants them to go back to their salvation and ask the question, How is it that you were saved? It was simple for them. The Apostle Paul had proclaimed Jesus Christ and him crucified. And apart from that, there was no salvation. The mode of salvation was simple. That Jesus Christ died on the cross paying the price for their sins so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life, that whoever would believe by faith would be saved by that faith in Jesus Christ. He just wants to keep bringing them back to that. I'll I'll tell you this for me, and I hope this is true for you guys, that when you're struggling in your Christian faith, the simplest, most profound thing you can do is go back to the thing that led you to faith. Just go back to the very simple gospel message. Just remind yourself of those things. Again, I think too often we complicate things, and I'll be honest with you, it can be easy to complicate things sometimes because when you're studying the New Testament, when you're studying the Old Testament, you see all this stuff, all this information comes at you, and sometimes it's like you're doing calculus in your brain just trying to figure out all that's being said there, but you always can take those things and point them back to the cross. You can take all the things you see in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, you can point them to the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the thing you do to continually remind yourself of how you were saved. And it's a great way to get yourself back on track. If you find yourself struggling with sin, what should you do? You return to the gospel. I was saved by grace through faith apart from works. Oh, I can be forgiven of my sins. Or maybe you're struggling with performance-based Christianity with legalism, with these ideas that you have to do all of these things and you're just just worn out by it. I'm serving in the Sunday school. I'm serving in the greeters ministry. I'm serving at the soup kitchen downtown. I'm doing all of these things. I'm loving my neighbor. I'm doing all of these things and I'm just exhausted. Man, it's so hard to become a Christian these days. No, it's not. You weren't saved by teaching Sunday school. I don't care what Glenda tells you. You weren't saved by being a greeter. You weren't saved by serving in a kitchen. You were saved by grace through faith apart from works. Go back to those very simple things. That's what Paul really wants the Galatians to do. He wants them to go back to their, to their core understanding of the gospel. You were saved by grace through faith. He, he tells them this. He says, he says this. He says, are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is, unfortunately, the way that some people see their Christianity. They can see this amazing movement of the Spirit of God that moved in their life to bring them to the point of salvation. But then they feel like after that happened, they have to take control again. And it's on their shoulders to become perfect. They have to work their way into perfection that's completely off course. We are perfected by the work of Jesus Christ, which is why last week he said that when God sees us, he no longer sees our sin. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, applied to us. From the perspective of fulfilling the Old Testament law, from the perspective of sin, from God's perspective, we have been made perfect by Jesus Christ. And again, just so we don't get off topic here, because sometimes we get confused and think to ourselves, well, that just gives me freedom to live however I want. That's not what Paul's trying to do. He's not trying to give you the freedom to live a sinful life. He's trying to explain to you, if you could live a sinful life, you would have already done it. You're incapable of living a sinless life. You're incapable of doing it all on your own. You can't live a perfect life. You needed a Savior. Once you realize you need a Savior and you have a Savior, then it's in those circumstances that you just, out of worship, out of love for him, you want to do things for him. But those things in and of themselves can never save you. Those are just things you do as an act of worship to a wonderful God who brought you salvation. Having begun in the spirit, spirit, are you going to be perfected in the flesh? The obvious answer that Paul wants us to get to is no. We were saved by grace through faith apart from works so that no one can boast. Verse 6, he's going to now work into his theological discourse using the Old Testament. For some people, this will be uh, not as exciting. Uh, but for our, my theological nerds in the room, you're like, yeah, bring it on, Old Testament. I'm excited about this. That's what we're gonna have here. He's gonna make some, some uh, uh, scriptural points. He's gonna use six scriptures here. He's gonna uh, actually give us five specific scriptural arguments that prove out this key point that Abraham was saved by faith. Uh, That's what he wants us to get to when he sees these things, but he's going to work through those things. Uh, And and it's important for us to recognize that's part of the value of the Old Testament. When we go through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, that's not just, oh, you know, we just just felt like we needed to change it up a little bit. We're going to go back to the Old Testament for a while. No, we believe that the Old Testament was not just a foundation for the work of Jesus Christ, but the Old Testament was pointing forward to Jesus. In fact, Jesus, after he died, then resurrected, he met with some of his disciples and he was able to show them all the things in the Old Testament that were pointing towards him. So part of our job on Wednesday nights as we go through the Old Testament is to help believers see those connections. It's something that I don't think I always have done a great job in. I think sometimes I get distracted by the cool stories like, man, David and Goliath, what an amazing story, you know? Get confused by all these different things that are thrown in there, Jonah and the whale, all this stuff. Wow, those are cool stories, but those cool stories have a purpose. They have a point and all of it is to lead us ultimately to Jesus Christ. So Uh, Let's first hear what Paul has to say here. I'm gonna just go through all these scriptures quickly and then I'll work back through it in a much uh, more detailed manner. But in verse six, it says, even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith." However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, who who protects them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So, here we go. We're going to work through these six Old Testament passages. The first one there is in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. It says, so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And the other ones are going to be supporting this idea. But in the same way that the Galatians were saved by faith, Paul's going to make the point that Abraham himself was saved By faith, And so it goes back to Genesis chapter 15, and this is one of those key pivotal points in Old Testament history that we have to be reminded of. Genesis chapter 15, Abraham, uh, he's had a son, a son by the name of Ishmael, and he's basically saying to God, like, God, here's the deal, I have had the promised son. This is the one you promised me, because God had made him a promise that a child would be born to him, Uh, and God basically says to him, eh, not it. That's not the one. Ishmael is not the son I was talking about. You might remember the, uh, the gymnastics that were going on in the background there. His wife was old. He didn't think she was going to be able to have kids. And so he ends up uh, having uh, a child with uh, one of his servant ladies, in fact. Kind of this whole weird thing that would be like a terrible soap opera today. Um, but the end result of that is he's asking God to bless Ishmael, his son. And God says, no, that's not the son I promised you. In fact, I promised a son to Sarah, and this isn't Sarah's son. So he's going to go through this discussion here with God. And so here we go, verse uh, uh, verse uh, 2 there. Abraham says, "'O oh Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus?' And Abraham said, "'Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir.'" Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness." He believed in the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So, this is the quote. Now, you might have noticed noticed my big mistake there. Did you notice my mistake, anybody? I got it all out of order historically. It wasn't Ishmael. This was before Ishmael was even uh, born at this point. Ishmael and Sarah and Hagar, all that comes in the next chapter. This is when Abraham was looking and saying, Could it just be somebody that was born in my house? And that's why he's looking here at Eliezer of Damascus, somebody who was born in his house but wasn't really his uh, family. And so, The promise has been made to Abraham that a son would be given to him. Abraham doesn't see that the promise could happen, but ultimately, God says it will happen. And then in that circumstance, it's in that moment that Abraham believed God. That's when it became faith. Everything that Abraham does after that for God, everything that Abraham does after that was because of faith. The works didn't save him, although they were mighty and they were true. And this is the confusion sometimes people have with the book of James, because James will say, show me your faith by your works. Abraham, the heart of it all, the root of everything they did, was this moment of faith. He believed God, and it was in that moment when he believed that God reckoned to him or accounted to him righteousness, based simply on just the fact that Abraham believed God. So we go back to Galatians, and Paul's going to continue to make his argument, having now proven that Abraham, uh, the one that the Jews looked to as their father, was a believer, was somebody who was righteous by faith, not by works. He's going to continue to make his arguments here. Verses uh, 7 and 8, Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The Scripture "...foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you." And where he says, all the nations will be blessed in you, that's the first time a promise was made to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, chapter 15 was a repeating of this promise. But this idea that a promise was made to Abraham, Abraham was saved by faith. And then a promise was made to Abraham that through him, all the nations would be blessed. And so he's kind of building this scriptural case here. And the result of that, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So following Abraham, he was reckoned as righteous through faith. All then those who like him had faith. They are sons of Abraham in verse 7. And then we have this next reminder of the promise, all the nations, because it's going to go beyond the Jews, it's going to go to the Gentiles. So all the nations will be blessed through Abraham here. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer, which I love that Abraham, the believer, right? But here we have all the nations will be blessed through Abraham This isn't just a Jewish-centric faith. All the nations will be blessed by Abraham, which is important if you're the Galatians because you're one of those other nations. You're one of the non-Jewish people. It's important if you're us, right? Most of us, probably not Jewish by heritage. But we don't have to be Jewish by heritage. We became sons of Abraham by faith. We became Believers in Jesus Christ by faith. We don't have to be Jews in order to be saved. We are simply believers in Jesus Christ through faith. So we have now the the second one there uh, that is given to us in verses 9 and 10. And then in verse 10, we pick it up. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law... To perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law, before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. So, two quotes there. We'll look at the first one in verse 10. Uh, He says this concerning the law. He's talking about the Old Testament law, all those things about don't eat roadkill and all that stuff in the Old Testament. As many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. If you think you're getting saved under works of the law, you're under a curse. Why? Because it's written in the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. If you don't perform every action of the law, you are cursed. That seems a little bit harsh, doesn't it? It Seems just a little bit unfair. It almost seems like it's impossible for somebody to be saved by works of the law. It is, and that was the point. That was the point. When we look at the Old Testament law, it's designed to help us recognize that we cannot be saved by works. We look at all the things in the Old Testament, we think we can't follow all the rules all the time. It's just not possible for us to do that. How will we ever be saved? If only there was one who could, who would credit his righteousness to us. That's the gospel that we hope in. But he says, quoting Deuteronomy, "'Cursed is everyone who does not perform "'all the things written in the law.'" Verse 11, he now goes to the prophets. "'Now that no one is justified by the law before God "'is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith.'" This is an interesting section here in Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk was one of the prophets who was told about the downfall of Jerusalem. Like, Jerusalem's gonna fall, Habakkuk. Just so you know, it's not gonna be pretty. The Babylonians are going to come in, they're going to wipe you out. And Habakkuk is like, this isn't a very exciting promise you've given to me, God. I think I'm just going to go sit in a cave and think about this for a while. Like, I'm not really excited. I'm just going to see what happens. I'm just going to go be alone for a little bit. But it's in that moment that God speaks to him and says, look. He says, the righteous man lives by faith. Faith which seems kind of out of place in that story, but the point he's trying to make to Habakkuk, the point he's trying to make forward throughout history, is that even if the Jews had tried to follow the law perfectly, God wouldn't have brought their destruction, right? But they couldn't live by the law perfectly. God had to bring their destruction. In fact, when he told them the law, when he gave them the law, he prophesied in that moment. He didn't say, if you break this law. He says, when you break this law, I will send in another nation to devour you. It was all according to God's plan that he would establish a law that the people wouldn't follow it, that they would be punished for not following the law. And now Habakkuk, watching this last piece, that the people would be punished for not following the law, and it's just, it's dumbfounding to him. He's saying, God, I thought we were your people. I thought you're, the, you're for us, not against us. We, I just, I don't understand what's going on. And God says, what's going on, what you need to see here." is that it's the faithful who will be made righteous, not the perfect. Quite a relief, by the way, if you're anything like me and not perfect. Some of you might be thinking, I'm pretty close. But pretty close doesn't even cut it, right? Like, I'm not close. I honestly, sincerely believe that if we were saved by the works of the law, I had no chance. I'd have been out in the first week You mean you can't have a cheeseburger? (laughs) I'm eating a cheeseburger because I'm hungry, right? Like I would have just failed. I'm just not capable. I don't have it in me. I can barely keep two things in my head at once. If my wife sends me to the grocery store with three things to remember, I've got to like call her twice or either way I'm coming home with $600 worth of stuff because I can't really remember. So I just (laughs) buy everything that looks good. Surely some of the stuff she wanted is in this cart right now. Give me 616 rules to follow in the Old Testament? No way. No way. The Ten Commandments sometimes I'm a little bit iffy on. Eh. Try not to break those things, but sometimes, sometimes I covet other people's stuff. Man, why can't I have stuff like that? Because you break it, Sean. That's why you can't have stuff like that. You had nice stuff like that. Once you broke it, it's all gone. You had to throw it away. It's in the dump somewhere. It's rotting in the ground. You're a horrible steward of this earth. What's wrong with you? I couldn't have done it. To hear that I don't have to be made righteous by my perfect life, man, it's it's soul-cleansing to me. It's honestly the only way I can stand before you and preach. It's the only way. Because I would spend every moment so torn up by my own hypocrisy that I couldn't even stand here. I couldn't even bear the thought of being in front of people, proclaiming any type of righteousness in myself. Righteousness only comes by faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. However, verse 12, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. He's already made that point once before. He's making it again in Leviticus 18.5. Again, if you feel like following the Old Testament laws in some way is going to save you, you're wrong. You're wrong. And there are Christian groups today that legitimately believe this that they legitimately believe that we have to follow some selectively or all of the Old Testament teachings. Those are the ways that you're pleasing in the sight of God. That's not how you please God. It's just not. You can study those things, learn those things. You can have fun with those things as long as you understand that those things are pointing to Jesus Christ. For instance, I taught a class once on the Old Testament feasts. And it was really kind of this weird moment. Like on one hand, I was like, I'm going to start celebrating these feasts. I was kind of excited about it because I could see all the pointing forward to Jesus Christ. But my fear was if I started celebrating the Old Testament feasts, that other Christians would see what I'm doing and they would think they need to start doing those things. And so I just decided to just be happy that I taught the class. Eh, That was good enough. And frankly, easier. I'm going to be honest with you. It was easier. Because again, I don't think I could have kept all the feasts. I think I would have totally forgot about a few of them. Then I would have felt guilty the rest of the year. Man, I totally blew the Day of Atonement. That's an important one. Because again, I can't live under those conditions. I'm not capable of it. Even the most self-disciplined people might think they can. They just can't. You You just can't. You can try to count pretty good. But pretty good doesn't save. Righteousness saves. And you can only be made righteous by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Verse 13, here's now the, the final one. The Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Deuteronomy 21, 23, just talking about it. It's a very generic thing. Uh, But it's a very generic curse that anybody who hangs on a tree is a cursed person, which, frankly, if you're the one being hung on a tree, you would probably think I'm cursed as well, right? You would get that. That's not a complicated statement, but he's making that connection to Jesus hanging on the cross. And he's basically saying, look, Jesus was cursed when we deserve to be cursed. Jesus took the curse in order that we could receive this promise of the Spirit through faith. All of it going back to the Old Testament scriptures. Now, I want to talk about something here just briefly uh, that um, always trips me up and I always have to remind myself of these things. Sometimes in the New Testament, they quote the Old Testament in ways I'm not allowed to because God has revealed things to them that he hasn't revealed to the average reader, right? And so if I were to be reading through Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, and I read this phrase, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree... If Paul hadn't told me that that's related to Jesus Christ, I would have had no clue. That's why it was in the Old Testament law. And if somebody later came along and said that was prophetic of something, I would have said you're full of it. But because Paul had it revealed by the Holy Spirit, I can believe it now. I can recognize that. And I think that's a struggle because I oftentimes run across Bible teachers who see things in the Old Testament that I cannot see. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's just off his rocker. He's just using it to make his point rather than letting the context teach. I say let the context teach all the time unless God has revealed it in the New Testament as being something different. There's one in Joel that's like that as well. It's quoted in the book of Acts. I don't blame the Jews sometimes for missing Jesus. Every once in a while I think to, them, to myself, like, I totally would have missed it too. I'm not that in tune to what's going on around me sometimes that I would have read through all of those things and picked up those things just at the right time. I'm so thankful that I was born in New Testament time where somebody recorded it all for me so I could read it and go, oh, that's what he meant by that. The other thing I like to do when I get to these New Testament quotes, I will write in the New Testament where that's from. But then I'll write it in the Old Testament, the New Testament passage, so that when I'm going through the Old Testament, I can see those New Testament connections in the future. Because they are easy to miss. It's not as easy to miss them in the New Testament, in my Bible anyway. Maybe yours is like this. But in my Bible, if you see words that are in all caps... It's just the translator saying this is a quote of the New Testament. I'm not sure how your Bibles handle that, but that's how mine handles it. And so it's easy to find that going from the New Testament to the Old Testament. Not easy to see that going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. They don't put that in caps for you, that this was quoted later in the New Testament. So I just go ahead and write it in when I'm reading through the Old Testament. Now I can see the Jesus connection that I maybe wouldn't have seen in the past. But he goes through these kind of scriptural arguments here all of these things pointing to the ideas that we are saved by faith and that we could never be saved by the law and that faith is in that moment of death in Jesus Christ. So, verse 15, Paul begins to continue on with some of this uh, argumentation here. He says this, Brethren, I speak in terms, and he's talking about the covenant now of of the law, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant... Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it's no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Uh, The point he's trying to make here is this. If you're confused, wait a second, there was a promise given to Abraham and it was his faith that was reckoned as righteousness, but then we also have the law. Paul wants to make this point. The promise was made 430 years before the law ever existed. And it's not okay to change context of a contract later and expect the original signers to follow it. It just doesn't make sense. If you have an employment contract with somebody, you've made a contract with them, and you've agreed to do X, Y, and Z, and they've agreed to pay you this much, they can't come in later and just say, and now we need you to do all these other things, unless you now re-agree to that. It's now a new contract, right? That's why today in everybody's uh, job descriptions, it says other duties as assigned. That just basically says we can change the contract whenever we want to. We can just add new duties to that. That's the way we handle that today in legalese, right? But what Paul's making the argument is the promise that God gave to save the nations, to be a blessing to the nations, that promise was given to Abraham 430 years before the Old Testament law was given. So you can't change the promise and say we have the promise, yeah, We were promised to be saved by faith, but then we got the law, so now we have to add the law to that. That's not how contracts work. That's not how covenants work, particularly when one of the guys involved in the covenant is God himself. You don't get to change the rules of the promise of the covenant. He does take a little side road here in verse 16 as he repeats the promise uh, that it was in the seed of Abraham that the nations would be blessed. He wants to make it known that that is a singular, not a plural. That it was the seed of Abraham, not the seeds, which means the blessing to the nations was not all of the Jews. The blessing to the nations was one Jew, the man Jesus Christ. That's what he's getting apart there. That the promised seed that would bless the nations is Jesus. It's not all the Jews. Jesus just happened to come from that lineage, and so we get that confused sometimes. So that might bring a couple of questions to mind. Right? Question number one, why the law? And then question number two, is the law contrary to the promise of God? Those are the two questions he's now going to answer. So, verse 19, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. So the two questions, the first question is, why the law then? If we're justified by faith, why 430 years later did we even get a set of laws? And he's going to give several answers there, but the basic idea is because of sin. Because the people of God were sinning. And so he establishes this set of laws, this set of rules, not in contrast or contrary to the promise. This wasn't in addition to the promise. You have to believe God, have that reckoned to you as righteousness, and live a certain way to be saved. It wasn't in addition to the promise of the old covenant that was made with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. No, it was just designed to be for us, to keep us under custody, to tutor us, to lead us to Christ, or as it says here in in this verse, to shut us up under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ might be given to those who believe. Ultimately, the purpose of the law was to show us that we needed a sacrifice to pay the price for our sins. That's all the law was doing over and over and over again. Here are the rules. I can't follow the rules. I've sinned. I've transgressed. I've broken the rules. What do I do? I'm no longer saved. You weren't saved by the rules, you were saved by faith in Jesus Christ. How does that work? Jesus will sacrifice himself to pay the price for all of your sins. Here's a visual reminder. I need you to take this little lamb and I need you to lay your hands on it, transfer your sin to it, you're going to sacrifice that lamb and we're going to burn it as a burnt offering before the Lord. And so over and over and over again, the gospel was played out through the Old Testament law. You cannot live righteously. So you can't trust in your works. So a sacrifice must be paid for your sins. So the lamb must be slain. All of that was just a picture of Jesus Christ playing over and over and over again, generation after generation, proclaiming Jesus Christ to the Jews. So that when he appeared, and that really was, it seems, the fulfillment or the finishing of the law, because it says that this was a promise that this was a law that was given until Christ came, uh, until he arrives until faith was seen, until the seed of the promise was there. All of it was just pointing forward to Jesus Christ. So every time they sacrificed those animals, it was as if they were telling the gospel, Jesus dies to pay the price for the sins so that those who have faith can be brought forward in righteousness can stand before God in righteousness so that the righteousness of Jesus Christ will be theirs instead of their own over and over and over and over again. It's actually one of the things that the Jews were really good at. They were really good at proclaiming the things of the word of God in their lifestyle, through their feasts, through their festivals, through their stories, before they had this. Before everybody had a copy of this in their house, what they had were these amazing traditions that consistently preached the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what was happening, and then that over and over and over again. It's one of the reasons, by the way, certain uh, evangelical or evangelistic groups uh, like Ray Comfort maybe you've heard of Living Waters and Ray Comfort. And uh, anyway, what they do in their evangelistic training is they teach you to use the Ten Commandments to prove to people that they're sinners. And it's a pretty simple concept. He just says, hey, have you ever broken any of the Ten Commandments? And if they know the Ten Commandments, they almost always just say, yes. <laughs> if they don't know the Ten Commandments, he'll just tell them a couple of them. And then they're always like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've definitely done that. And so he'll say things like, so have you ever stolen? And I say, well, yeah, I've stolen a little bit before, but not a lot. But have you stolen? Yes. Well, that makes you a thief, doesn't it? Well, I suppose. Have you ever lied? Okay, I lied a minute ago when I said I only stole little things. (laughs) What does that make you? A liar. Okay, so you're a thieving liar. Why should God let you into heaven? Well, wait a second. That sounds pretty harsh. Yeah, it seems as if you just can't be saved unless we can get rid of your sin. If somebody would be willing to pay the price for your sin, you could be saved. He's just using the same pattern that was used there in the book of Galatians. The law being used to show us that we're guilty of sin and in need of a Savior. The good news, Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. And all we have to do to receive that is have faith in him. Be justified by faith. So, Interesting results that come out of that, these last couple of verses. So some people would prefer those to be in chapter four, but they're not, so we're going to cover them anyway. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant, heirs according to the promise. This does a couple of things that are important for us. Uh, the first here is to recognize that we're no longer under the Tudor, which means we're no longer old under the Old Testament law. This is one of those things that unbelievers, non knowledgeable, non Christians will bring to us all the time. Oh, you say you believe in the Bible. How come you don't follow all the Old Testament laws? Because I understand the Bible. The Old Testament laws were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. His righteousness was applied to me. I am no longer under a tutor. I am saved by grace through faith. Would you like to join me? Huh? (laughs) You mean you don't have to do all those things in the Old Testament? No. Well, then why do you think this, 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 and this is a sin? The Old Testament told us what was sinful. It also just told us we couldn't possibly live perfectly. So when we sin, we still repent as an act of worship to the God who saved us. It's pretty simple, really, for us to understand that. But because they don't understand the Old Testament, the New Testament, or even the gospel itself, for them, they think we're hypocrites. We're not hypocrites. Because we believe that we were sinful people, just like you do. The only difference is we believe that we can be saved from our sin by the grace of Jesus Christ. We're no longer under the law. He says this too, this is important, I think in verse 27, all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. So there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all descendants of Abraham, heirs of the promise of Abraham, because we belong to Jesus Christ. That's who we are, which means it doesn't matter what your nationality is, you don't have a foot up on getting saved, and you're not behind on getting saved. Well, the Jews have it easier. No, they don't. They just don't. Because salvation is by grace through faith apart from works. The Americans have it easier. No, we don't. Because you're saved by grace through faith, not of nationality. It doesn't even matter your status within society. You could be a slave, you could be a free person. It's no more difficult for a slave to be saved than it is for a free person. So your social status doesn't matter anymore. It's not easier to be a man and get saved than it is for a woman because it's not based on your gender, your salvation. It's all based on faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who you were before, it doesn't matter what you did before. You were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ so that no one could boast. We've all become one. I remember this, I struggle with this. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. And uh, another pastor I was listening to said, this is the great unanswered prayer of Jesus, that they would be one. It's not unanswered. It's an answered prayer. We are all one in Jesus Christ. We may not act like it sometimes but it doesn't change the fact that he did that work for us. When we came to faith in Jesus Christ, it says we are now clothed with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who you were before, it's who you are now. You're an heir of the promise of Abraham, one who is saved by grace through faith. Amen? If you're a believer, hopefully that's encouraging to you today. If you're not a believer, I need you to understand that. There's no way to be pleasing in the sight of God except by faith in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's really that simple. It doesn't require a bunch of other stuff, just that. So today could be your day of salvation if you can say with us who believe, that Jesus is my Lord. Father, we're thankful for your word and thankful for an opportunity to be in your word today. Uh, We would ask that as we work through passages like this that uh, are powerful, but also intricate and interesting and uh, sometimes um, maybe not as immediately applicable as we would always like them to be, I would pray that you would take passages like this and that you would form our minds around these core truths so that we cannot be deceived by by the, the deceptions of Satan, that we won't be bewitched like the Galatians, that we won't be tricked by other teachers, that we won't allow somebody to convince us that our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, isn't enough. Lord, help us know. Help us know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And every time we struggle, help us return to this idea that we were saved by grace through faith. Father, we thank you for these things and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.